Welcome to the Investikit podcast. This is Arjun Paliwal, Head of Research and Investikit Buyers Agency, your host of this new show, episode one. And if this is the first time you're hearing this, I'm also the co-host of the Property Nerds podcast. Now, if you're a Property Nerds podcast listener and you're going, hey, Arjun, hold on a minute. What's the difference between this and the Investikit show? Well, I'll give it to you now. The Property Nerds podcast is where I join Lee, the director at Hills Finance and my lovely wife, and us to go deep into headlines, news, and more importantly, some of our monthly releases of certain research papers. Now, that's a once a month show focused in on those big topics, big research releases that we do at Investikit and some of the finance data at Hills Finance. And then the Investikit show is just that whole lot more. It is a weekly show that's all about concepts, strategies, bringing others on to help you on your real estate journey, whether it be professional investors, hearing from them and their successes, or whether it be other professionals in the industry that can aid you on your wealth building journey. Alongside that, we'll go through tips, interpreting research, and even more of a deep dive into some of those research that we do behind the scenes at Investigate Buyers Agency. Now, you might have heard the word Investigate a few times. Well, who are we? We're one of Australia's leading buyers agents, multiple award-winning buyers agents, and help property investors scale their portfolios. We've got a knack at focusing on helping people get to that three or more properties regularly, consistently, and we've done it for more than 100 people. Now, in terms of our experience, we've got over 700 million in lending and property experience. And personally, my wife and I also have a $12 million property portfolio. Now, why do I share all this with you? I share all this with you so you can get the most value to understand more about where our show comes in, how it may be able to help you, and let you know there's a whole lot of experience both personally, professionally as one of Australia's leading buyers agents, and also that we're going to go deep into many of these topics that we share with you. So when it comes to episode one, what are we going into today? Well, before I go into that podcast, I want to let you know that what I'm going to share with you in this particular episode is actually a resource as well that you can grab off me. This resource goes into how we spot and how we categorize markets across the country into separate buying windows. This is using a research process that's been tested time and time again. And it's also using a lot of you know, data where we've gone and back-tested and reviewed this in certain ways so we know when it happens, how it happens, and the deep causes around what drives property markets. The most important thing, it's not that broken property clock that goes back and forth and the dials just keep changing and you're not sure where they are in cycles. This is one that will clearly explain where markets are or how you can find markets in certain cycles, just by looking at certain data points as well as their pros and cons. So if you're after that research, just drop me an email or drop uh, Nikita and our team an email, which is nikita at investikit.com.au, N-I-K-I-T-A at investikit.com.au. So we can send you that research and it is called our market categorization. So just chuck that into the subject and let us know that you're after this and we'll grab you a free copy. So now let's get into episode one. So episode one, it's all about going deep into the time that we're in right now and understanding that there are multiple markets in Australia. You know, the the core thing that we're having an issue with right now is that recency bias has kicked in for many investors. This is where investors are saying, hey, you know, I've had a huge amount of growth over the last couple of years. 
And I've noticed a lot of others have too. And this is where they may be under the impression that capital growth goes up everywhere at the same time and then declining housing markets goes down everywhere at the same time. Now, there can be macro fundamentals like interest rates as one example or credit changes as one example, which is a blanket effect laid on everywhere. And that will naturally make a change in pressure everywhere. But markets across the country have different levels of pressure. So one may be weak that becomes weaker. One already may be very hot and it still is hot. So this is where the difference in really understanding the different markets that are out there are going to help you understand that there's still opportunities today. Now, there's a saying, action is louder than words. And to share with you some action, my wife and I picked up you know, five properties this year alone in our portfolio overall. Why is that important to share? Well, it's to share that I'm not just sharing this insights with you to say, oh, there's all these opportunities everywhere. Go check it out. Wow, this uh, real estate's always good. I'm a bias agent, right? I'm always meant to say that. But it's more, hey, not only is there these opportunities, not only will I show it to you backed by data, but I took action myself. I put my money where my mouth is. Now put that aside, it wasn't just me. Just in the month of November alone, 30 people, 30 clients, families, people looking to build wealth or start their wealth building journey, join the Investigate team as clients, that is, to be able to work with us to find them their next investment or first investment property. That's important because it shows you it's not just me that took action, but there's many others out there. There is a group of very savvy investors who are going to read into the research I'll go through today and go, okay, that makes sense. That's happening. So what is some of that research? Well, let's firstly look at the last 12 months of data to get some perspective on, hey, if there are these areas out there after seven and what possibly could be eight interest rate rises, there should be areas out there that have posted some decent gains. Now, this is where one change needs to happen in your mind with regards to what's decent or not. So let's take a quick pause on that. Over the last one to two years, we may have gotten used to this idea that property just seems to grow double digits. 20% the norm, 10% the norm, 30 and 40%. But long-term averages in property markets range from about 5 to 7 or 6 to 8%, depending on 20, 25 years to all the way 40 years, depending on how far you pull it back. So when you start getting into that 8 to 10 or 8 to 12%, well, that's a boom. It's just that many people are, you know, not used to admitting that because of the last couple of years of super boom results. So just remember that anything in that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're doing better than most of the projections that you might have had on your wealth calculators or compounding calculators. So that's a phenomenal result. Let's kick into some of these markets because uh, I'm keen to share with you. And I'll, I'll shout out a few across the regions and the capital cities so you can see what's going on. And in terms of this data, this data that we're looking at is CoreLogic's growth index. And in terms of when this came out, this came out the 1st of December 2022. So you can't get really any more recent than that. That's uh, pretty much just around the corner that's been. So when it comes to what's happening across the country, they divided regions by what we call SA3, something we, we use a lot, statistical area threes. They're just essentially in simple terms, a cluster of multiple suburbs that make up one bigger area. This is for data cleanse or cleanliness, and also to get an easier way to match up that 10 top 10 results. So it's not just a thousands of suburbs to sift through. Now, when we're looking at that data, I have come to realize there are a lot of regions to go through. So what we're going to do here is just go through you know, a few shout outs from some of the regions. So we'll start off with uh, regional New South Wales. Key standouts, Inverell, 22.4%. Now, Wagga Wagga, 19.7%. Another standout here, Tamworth, 
15.6%. So Armadale, 17.1%. So these are massive results for the last 12 months. That too, after seven interest rate rises, which could be eight by the time this releases. We'll see. Now going into some other regions, let's go to regional Vic. Shepparton, 14%. Uh, there's two regions of Shepparton. So one SA3 at 14 and one at 10.2. Wodonga still went up close to 6%, and even Wangaratta at 11.8%, so a few standouts there. Let's go to regional Queensland. Bundaberg, 16.8%. Burnett Wide Bay at 21%. Toowoomba, 13.7%. And Rockhampton, 11.2%. The list doesn't stop here. One of the best performers in the country, the Barossa region at 23% in SA. And if we go further down, to the south side, Kangaroo Island regions and surrounds, 16.9%. And just so no one says I've left you out, let's go over to WA and Taz. Bunbury, 8.2. Albany, 8.8. And then even up to Tassie with the northeast Launceston region at 128 and Burnie at 6.4. So these were all 8 to 10 regions per, per state. But I only read out a couple. And the lowest scoring one here was around that 5% mark, or 1% mark in a certain region of Launceston. And the highest scoring here was uh, the Barossa at 23%. So this clearly shows that across the country, there are over 40 or 50 regions just here that I've named that have produced double-digit gains even after we've had a lot of the stimulus slow, interest rates go up, servicing drop by 25%, news headlines, articles change all across the country to say, hey, this isn't really working out well. It's clearly, uh, you know, one thing to show you that across the markets in the country, there are areas still rising. Let's move over to the capital cities. So when you look at the capital cities and looking at Sydney and, and Melbourne, the top 10 regions for gains were actually the lowest declining regions. Outside of the Wyndham region in Melbourne, which gained 1.4, and Melton, which gained 1%, pretty much everything else in these reports were going backwards, which shows that the declines have been prominent in those two cities. If we go over to Greater Perth's top 10, so we've got the Quinana and Rockingham, so 10.1 in Quinana, Rockingham at 9.7. In Hobart, we had Brighton up by 1.1, which shows that was the best performing, so most of Hobart's kind of tipping backwards as well. Darwin strong across multiple regions, Palmerston at 7%, Darwin City at 6.3, and Canberra with Malonglo at 7.1, Gungalan at 1.2, and then the rest start fading away. Adelaide has been a standout, the best amongst the capital cities, so Playford at 22.7%, Salisbury at 21.3%, Gawler at 18.8%, Onkaparinga, 17.3. Tea Tree Gully, 16.6. The lowest scoring in Adelaide out of the top 10 list there was 13.5. So even the lowest scoring of that top 10 in Adelaide was still double digits. So it shows to you that things are affecting markets differently. And that's a key thing to really look out for. Now, if you're looking at this and going, well, Arjun, if that's the case, I want to be able to make sure that I don't keep making these same assumptions and I don't keep putting myself into the hands of the media thinking everything everywhere is happening in that one direction and also that I don't pay attention to friends at the barbecue who say hey have you seen what's happening with the property market well there's two tips I'm going to give you one we're going to go through in market cycles but the other is there's no such thing as the property market so there is no better time than now to realize that markets have decoupled from their one direction of growth that happened over the last couple of years. As a savvy investor, I want you to 
you know, imagine this. And by savvy, I mean you're the savvy investors, right? Because you're tuning into the show. So as a savvy investor, I want you to just tune into this. When markets do go up, even during the boom cycle, not all of them went up at the same pace. They all had great growth, double digits from ranging from 8 to 10% to some areas that went 30, 40, and even 50% in such a short time period. So this means that even when we are in genuine booms where everything is nationally moving upwards, there can be variances in performance. And now that we're seeing some of those markets that did have the best growth start to cool off again, this is where you can see it's more prominent in those variances. As an investor, how do you protect yourself now moving moving forward when you start to see times like this. It's actually not feeding into all the information. It's taking one step back and really understanding why are certain areas starting to make a difference in the way they perform. In this cycle of change that we've seen, the two most common trends that we're noticing is the level of supply and the level of affordability. Those are two things that we're noticing quite apparent changes. The areas that were constricted with supply absolute low levels of supply like the Barossa region as an example or like Wagga as the higher performing areas and Adelaide from low properties for sale to low properties for rent to an okay or low amount of building approvals in the pipeline to listings well below COVID levels and pre-COVID levels. All of these sort of changes were really actually were apparent in some of these high performing areas. And then the second thing was an affordability level. I'm not just talking about affordability by price, I'm talking about relative affordability to incomes. Now, if you're keen to check out our analysis of incomes and repayments and how we marked markets as overvalue or undervalue, back in December last year, we released this white paper. It's called the Overvalue Undervalued you know, Research Report. You can find this on investikit.com.au slash whitepapers. It's totally free to download. Check it out because it goes back to last December when we released this report and it showcases markets that we felt were you know, on the overvalue side if interest rates went up to 5.5 and you know, look at what's happened, they have now. And then the second is those markets that were less overvalued or even undervalued. And it's funny though, because when you grab that report and compare it to a lot of the regions in the top 10 that I've just gone through then, a lot of similarities start to pop up and this was that second component of affordability. So now that you start to use this information, what are the other sorts of information that you can use to really put some of these markets across the country in different categories and buckets to ensure that 2023 and 2024 can be some of the best years for your portfolio's performance. Well, that's called market categorization, and that's what we're gonna what we're gonna jump into. So, with market categorization, this is essentially where you know I've spent so long deep diving into what's going to actually drive markets, figure out what actually is the thing that makes markets go? What are those core indicators that show up time and time and time again? And if you're tuning into the show and you'd like to get a visual of this, well, jump on the YouTube because this recording is also available there where you'll see an actual visual of a screen share that I'm doing. This is the same research that I said that I'd share with you if you'd like to grab a copy, which you can do by emailing nikita at investikit.com.au. And so you'll be able to check this out where it showcases exactly some of the info I'm going through. So we've got three core categories, early adopter, hotspots, and second wind. Now, with these three categories, what they're simply defining is where I personally feel a market is in a particular phase of its growth cycle. An early adopter market is typically one where the last 10 years has had lower growth than the long-term average. But in the recent year, some signals are showing 
that the pace of growth is changing very quickly. It hasn't massively outperformed in the recent year, but the change of growth is massively starting to change. Hotspots. Hotspots are markets where they have performed at their long-term averages and in the recent year are starting to outperform the long-term averages. Now, lastly, we go into second wind. They have outperformed long-term averages in the last 10 years, but they had a bit of a decline or a cool-off or just very flat for some number of years. Not too long, though, and we are now seeing a second phase of growth. Each of these have their pros and cons. So to give you some example, the early adopter market, the pros are that you get full exposure to a market cycle because you're well below that 10-year long-term growth average, and it's got to rocket back to its averages at some point to meet those 30-year trends of, say, 5 to 7 or 6 to 8%. The cons for an early adopter market, though, is that it could be too early if you just get in based on that little bit of a trend change, but it takes a little bit longer for that trend change to come to life. It's really ideal for people with an affordable budget because if a market hasn't risen much or at all for that 10-year period, it's likely that it remains affordable in the grand scheme of things. Seeking healthy yield is another option for those because when rents continue to move up for other reasons, and that's one thing our analysis never compromises on, rental pressure needs to exist because that's genuine demand. But yields are now healthy here in these sorts of markets. So affordable budgets, good yields, you know, people who are patient but want to get their foot into the door of investing in the right markets. Let's go into hotspot markets. Hotspot markets are now, you know, very high confidence in their short-term growth, but they have a con of intense competition. So if you're a low baller, if you're not so keen to give agents their time or really think that they're all untrustworthy and you don't want to play you know, any games, it's highly likely that you're going to be that friend in the barbecue saying, oh, just, things just went too crazy and uh, this market's not for me. So this is where the down t- downsides are of a hotspot market. But who's it ideal for? People who are after a flexible budget, maybe it's not just affordable properties, they can go up in price a little bit more, and they're seeking absolute immediate growth. You know, this is where you know the signals are of high confidence and you're really looking for that short-term growth. Now, one thing we have noticed on the topic of growth is that it doesn't last forever. Yes, there's outliers of markets that have grown for five to seven years in succession, in a row, and just had double-digit gains each of those years. Hobart is one example, Sydney between 2012 and 2017, and more when you think of regional VIC over the last four years still growing in some areas. But the typical growth markets don't grow heavily for more than two to four years. It's the natural forces that come in of supply levels changing to respond, whether it be building, whether it be you know listings coming back on because people want a piece of their growth and reselling assets, or whether it just be affordability kicking in as people don't want to pay certain prices. Now, the second wind market, it's good for diversity because now you might have gone, hey, got a few different properties across different areas and I'm keen to you know, just try different cities, but it does tend to have lower yield in comparison to other areas. It may not be as affordable either. And the growth cycle, whilst we're hoping for a second win based on certain indicators, can have limited growth because it's outperformed its 10-year averages for so long. This is good for opportunistic investors. Let's take you back to 2019 in Sydney. Values decline by 15% from 17 peak 
to 19. Values had grown, outperformed long-term averages between 2012 and 2017, and then 2020, a recovery kicks in, late 2019 actually, and starts to grow heavily again. That's an example of people who bought in 2019 would still be up substantially even after the recent declines. So that is an example of someone being a second win buyer who's taken advantage of that down period then up again. Uh, Some other areas are Central Coast and Surrounds as well. When they'd grown heavily until 2018, slowed down then picked up again. Just an example of different cities in there too. So as we go through these markets, what are the six core indicators we look for when we're assessing which you know, market position it may be in. We're looking at economic activity. Early adopter markets tend to have the highest rate of projects in pipeline, announcements, things happening, because usually if a property market's had a weak level of performance over the last 10 years, there might have also been, in most cases, a weaker economy over the last 10 years. And so to change that economy, you know, local governments, state governments, and even federal sometimes have started to come in and put projects in place to start to see an improvement in that local area. You know, an example of this can be the city of Townsville, where over the last 10 years, there's a weak level of performance, especially from that sort of 2013 to 2019. And then from the 2018 onwards period, a lot of projects in the pipeline start coming in from state deals and you know, stadiums and other things like that. So economic activity is usually at its highest. The second trend is future supply. These are building approvals and pipelines. I want you to imagine you're a builder and developer in one of these early adopter areas. It's year two, year three, year four of this downturn or at least flat period. What makes you excited to go and find deals to, you know, sell in this market, develop, construct, get lots of building approvals when your resale is becoming harder and harder due to that flat growth or declines in some of these markets? Now, imagine that goes on for six to 10 years. Developers don't just keep being really active in these type of pockets. Yes, there'll be some who always find a deal, can buy it right and make it happen, but the percentages of building approvals tend to drop substantially. So from a future supply perspective, early adopter markets score quite well in seeing this become quite low. So if there was any excitement in the market, it would have to grow substantially in terms of its construction pipeline. And as we know, that has a lag effect to it for when it returns. Now we move over to established supply. So this is houses for sale currently, the trend of listings, how they're tracking. Well, they're not going to be super low, Because if they're super low, it means that this market's very hot already. But we do see this low, but not super low. And that's a very important point. Because if they're very, very low in listings, it might have transitioned across to a hotspot market as the demand is outweighing it. But when it's low, but not too crazy high or not too low, it's an area where that trend line's changing, but not so hot that everything's intense in competition. Housing availability, now we're referring to stock on market, is the fourth data point. And we're looking at stock on market as a percentage of the stock that exists. So it's not just the trend of listings, but total stock as a proportion of what's there in that market. Again, we want it like established supply, not crazy high because it might be too early in the cycle and not too low because it might be too hot. And then we're moving into the rental market, its vacancy rates, its rental days on market. Is it extremely tight? Is it very fast? Because rental demand is true demand. And to give you a concept of what I mean by true demand, imagine everyone goes to a rental open home. You really love the place. 10, 15 people are there. 
very few people are going, wow, this is such a beautiful place. I can't wait for my landlord to charge me more so I can live here in the future. <laughs> Just think about that. Does anyone really do that? Well, guess where they do do that? It's when they're buying a house for sale. Not everyone buys just for today. People are buying, in almost every case, with some component to do that I hope this value rises in the future, which means that that attaches speculation to housing for sale. But no speculation exists in housing for rent. So we want that genuine demand in rents so we can see that pressure build as well. Lastly is our price pressure. This is things like days on market, inventory, vendor discounting, sales volumes, and more. This is just trends to display real demand relative to that supply. Again, we're not expecting it to be too strong in these areas. So six core areas, economic activity, future supply, established supply, housing availability, rental pressure, price pressure. And economic activity, rental pressure, and future supply, the three indicators that tend to score very high in early adopter markets, and the other three are somewhat balanced. And so this is what really drives the shift. Now, when we look at hotspots, they're markets where every indicator is quite strong. Economic activity is already been quite developed in the starting phases of an early adopter market. So it's not as heavy as it was, but you can see future supply starts to weaken. Future supply weakens as a trend and when I say weakens, it means there's more coming in, in building pipeline. Because now with the growth happening in these areas, developers are licking their lips and going, well, if I buy a site here, not only will it grow in value, but also the, the buying that I did in bulk will allow me to you know, sell this at a pretty good price. And so more and more excited about the prospects because of the growth in the area. And the second wind is much the same for all, but just a little bit weaker in what it's showing. So I hope this really gives you some insights as to, A, that there are markets across the country that are growing pretty well. And that CoreLogic data really showed at the start that there are regions across the country where things are happening. That too by double digits after seven interest rate rises. I told you that I've been on a journey with my wife here and we've, we've picked up five places this year alone. And just in the month of November, we had 30 people join us to really explore how we can review their portfolio and grow that further with many more looking to join us here in December. So this means that there are opportunities across the country. And it's about how you dissect markets using some of the research frameworks that professional investors use, as I've shown you today, and dissect them to be able to put certain cities in certain buckets and realize that there is always somewhere out there that has the right potential for your portfolio. Delaying your property buying decisions does mean delaying your goals for the growth of your wealth. And if there's an income goal attached to it, it means there's less time on your journey available for that compounding of wealth, the compounding of rent, which is what really separates the top performing portfolios and the least performing ones. That's it for episode one. I hope you got tremendous value from this one. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you where you can send some notes, questions, where we'll jump into them in future episodes as well to Arjun, A-R-J-U-N, at investikit.com.au. But most importantly, if you're after that research that I just went through here as well, chuck an email over to nikita at investikit.com.au. Episode two, can't wait to get into that and uh, share about what's next and what's happening in the property market.